Section 30 of the Columbia Accident Investigation Board Final Report, Volume 1. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Norman Elfer. The Columbia Accident Investigation Board Final Report, Volume 1, by the Columbia Accident Investigation Board. Chapter 7A. The Accident's Organizational Causes, Part 1. Many accident investigations make the same mistake in defining causes. They identify the widget that broke or malfunctioned, then locate the person most closely connected with a technical failure, the engineer who miscalculated an analysis, the operator who missed signals or pulled the wrong switches, the supervisor who failed to listen, or the manager who made bad decisions. When causal chains are limited to technical flaws and individual failures, the ensuing responses aimed at preventing a similar event in the future are equally limited. They aim to fix the technical problem and replace or retrain the individual responsible. Such corrections lead to a misguided and potentially disastrous belief that the underlying problem has been solved. The board did not want to make these errors. A central piece of our expanded cause model involves NASA as an organizational whole. Organizational Cause Statement The organizational causes of this accident are rooted in the Space Shuttle Program's history and culture, including the original compromises that were required to gain approval for the Shuttle Program, subsequent years of resource constraints, fluctuating priorities, schedule pressures, mischaracterizations of the shuttle as operational rather than developmental, and lack of an agreed national vision. Cultural traits and organizational practices detrimental to safety and reliability were allowed to develop, including reliance on past success as a substitute for sound engineering practices, such as testing to understand why systems were not performing in accordance with requirements-slash-specifications. Organizational barriers which prevented effective communication of critical safety information and stifled professional differences of opinion. Lack of integrated management across program elements and the evolution of an informal chain of command and decision-making processes that operated outside the organization's rules. Understanding Causes In the Board's view, NASA's organizational culture and structure had as much to do with this accident as the external tank foam. Organizational culture refers to the values, norms, beliefs, and practices that govern how an institution functions. At the most basic level, organizational culture defines the assumptions that employees make as they carry out their work. It is a powerful force that can persist through reorganizations and the reassignment of key personnel. Given that today's risks in human spaceflight are as high and the safety margins as razor-thin as they have ever been, there is little room for overconfidence. Yet the attitudes and decision-making of shuttle program managers and engineers during the events leading up to this accident were clearly overconfident and often bureaucratic in nature. They deferred to layered and cumbersome regulations rather than the fundamentals of safety. 
The shuttle program's safety culture is training to hold together the vestiges of a once robust systems safety program. As the board investigated the Columbia accident, it expected to find a vigorous safety organization, process, and culture at NASA, bearing little resemblance to what the Rogers Commission identified as the ineffective silent safety system, in which budget cuts resulted in lack of resources, personnel, independence, and authority. NASA's initial briefings to the board on its safety programs espoused a risk-adverse philosophy that empowered any employee to stop an operation at the mere glimmer of a problem. Unfortunately, NASA's views of its safety culture in those briefings did not reflect reality. Shuttle program safety personnel failed to adequately assess anomalies and frequently accepted critical risks without qualitative or quantitative support even when the tools to provide more comprehensive assessments were available. Similarly, the board expected to find NASA's Safety and Mission Assurance Organization deeply engaged at every level of shuttle management, the Flight Readiness Review, the Mission Management Team, the Debris Assessment Team, the Mission Evaluation Room, and so forth. This was not the case. In briefing after briefing, interview after interview, NASA remained in denial. In the agency's eyes, there were no safety of flight issues and no safety compromises in the long history of debris strikes on the thermal protection system. The silence of program-level safety processes undermined oversight. When they did not speak up, safety personnel could not fulfill their stated mission to provide checks and balances. A pattern of acceptance prevailed throughout the organization that tolerated phone problems without sufficient engineering justification for doing so. This chapter presents an organizational context for understanding the Columbia accident. Section 7.1 outlines a short history of safety at NASA, beginning in the pre-Apollo era, when the agency reputedly had the finest system safety engineering programs in the world. Section 7.2 discusses organizational theory and its importance to the board's investigation. And Section 7.3 examines the practices of three organizations that successfully manage high risk. Sections 7.4 and 7.5 look at NASA today and answer the question, how could NASA have missed the foam signal? By highlighting the blind spots that render the shuttle program's risk perspective myopic. The board's conclusion and recommendation are presented in 7.6. See Chapter 10 for a discussion of the differences between industrial safety and mission assurance slash quality assurance. 7.1. Organizational Causes. Insights from History. NASA's organizational culture is rooted in history and tradition. From NASA's inception in 1958, to the Challenger accident in 1986, the agency's Safety, Reliability, and Quality Assurance SRQA, activities, although distinct disciplines, were typically treated as one function in the design, development, and operations of NASA's manned spaceflight programs. Contractors and NASA engineers collaborated closely to assure the safety of human spaceflight. Solid engineering practices emphasized defining goals and relating system performance to them, establishing and using decision criteria, developing alternatives, modeling systems for analysis, 
and managing operations. Although a NASA Office of Reliability and Quality Assurance existed for a short time during the early 1960s, it was funded by the Human Spaceflight Program. By 1963, the office disappeared from the agency's organization charts. For the next few years, the only type of safety program that existed at NASA was a decentralized, loose federation of risk assessment oversight run by each program's contractors and the project offices at each of the three human spaceflight centers. Fallout from Apollo, 1967 In January 1967, months before the scheduled launch of Apollo 1, three astronauts died when a fire erupted in a ground test capsule. In response, Congress, seeking to establish an independent safety organization to oversee spaceflight, created the Aerospace Safety Advisory Panel, ASAP. The ASAP was intended to be a senior advisory committee to NASA, reviewing spaceflight safety studies and operations plans, and evaluating systems procedures and management policies that contribute to risk. The panel's main priority was human spaceflight mission. Although four of the panel's nine members can be NASA employees, in recent years, few have served as members. While the panel's support staff generally consists of full-time NASA employees, the group technically remains an independent oversight body. Congress simultaneously mandated that NASA create separate safety and reliability offices at the agency's headquarters and at each of its human spaceflight centers and programs. Overall, safety oversight became the responsibility of NASA's chief engineer. Although these offices were not totally independent, their funding was linked to the very programs they were supposed to oversee, their existence allowed NASA to treat safety as a unique function. Until the Challenger accident in 1986, NASA safety remained linked organizationally and financially to the agency's human spaceflight program. Challenger, 1986 In the aftermath of the Challenger accident, the Rogers Commission issued recommendations intended to remedy what it considered to be basic deficiencies in NASA's safety system. These recommendations centered on an underlying theme, the lack of independent safety oversight at NASA. Without independence, the Commission believed, the slate of safety failures that contributed to the Challenger accident, such as the undue influence of scheduled pressures and the flawed flight readiness process, would not be corrected. NASA should establish an Office of Safety, Reliability, and Quality Assurance to be headed by an associate administrator, reporting directly to the NASA administrator, concluded the Commission. It would have direct authority for safety, reliability, and quality assurance throughout the agency. The office should be assigned the workforce to ensure adequate oversight of its functions and should be independent of other NASA functional and program responsibilities. Emphasis added. In July 1986, NASA Administrator James Fletcher created a Headquarters Office of Safety, Reliability, and Quality Assurance, which was given responsibility for all agency-wide safety-related policy functions. In the process, the position of the Chief Engineer was abolished. The new office's Associate Administrator promptly initiated studies on shuttle in-flight anomalies, overtime levels, the lack of spare parts, 
and landing and crew safety systems, among other issues. Yet NASA's response to the Rogers Commission recommendation did not meet the Commission's intent. The Associate Administrator did not have direct authority, and safety, reliability, and mission assurance activities across the agency remained dependent on other programs and centers for funding. General Accounting Office Review, 1990 a 1990 review by the U.S. General Accounting Office questioned the effectiveness of NASA's new safety organization in a report titled, Space Program Safety, Funding for NASA's Safety Organization Should Be Centralized. The report concluded, NASA did not have an independent and effective safety organization. Emphasis added, although the safety organizational structure may have appeared adequate, in the late 1980s, the Space Agency had concentrated most of its efforts on creating an independent safety office at NASA headquarters. In contrast, the safety offices at NASA's field centers were not entirely independent because they obtained most of their funds from activities whose safety-related performance they were responsible for overseeing. The General Accounting Office worried that the lack of centralized independent funding may also restrict the flexibility of center safety managers. It also suggested most NASA safety managers believe that centralized SRM and QA, safety, reliability, maintainability, and quality assurance funding, would ensure independence. NASA did not institute centralized funding in response to the General Accounting Office report, nor has it since. The problems outlined in 1990 persist to this day. Space Flight Operations Contract, 1996 The Space Flight Operations Contract was intended to streamline and modernize NASA's cumbersome contracting practices, thereby freeing the agency to focus on research and development. See Chapter 5. Yet its implementation complicated issues of safety independence. A single contractor would, in principle, provide oversight on production, safety, and mission assurance, as well as cost management, while NASA maintained insight into safety and quality assurance through reviews and metrics. Indeed, the reduction to a single primary contract simplified some aspects of the NASA contractor interface. However, as a result, experienced engineers changed jobs. NASA grew dependent on contractors for technical support, contract monitoring requirements increased, and positions were subsequently staffed by less experienced engineers who were placed in management roles. Collectively, this eroded NASA's in-house engineering and technical capabilities and increased the agency's reliance on the United Space Alliance and its subcontractors to identify, track, and resolve problems. The contract also involved substantial transfers of safety responsibility from the government to the private sector, rollback of tens of thousands of government-mandated inspection points, and vast reductions in NASA's in-house safety-related technical expertise. See Chapter 10. In the aggregate, these mid-1990s transformations rendered NASA's already problematic safety system simultaneously weaker and more complex. The effects of transitioning shuttle operations to the safety flight operations contract were not immediately apparent in the years following implementation. 
In November 1996, as the contract was being implemented, the Aerospace Safety Advisory Panel published a comprehensive contract review, which concluded that the effort to streamline the space shuttle program has not inadvertently created unacceptable flight or ground risks. The Aerospace Safety Advisory Panel's passing grades proved temporary. Shuttle Independent Assessment Team, 1999 Just three years later, after a number of close calls, NASA chartered the Shuttle Independent Assessment Team to examine shuttle subsystems and maintenance practices. See Chapter 5. The Shuttle Independent Assessment Team report sounded a stern warning about the quality of NASA's safety and mission assurance efforts and noted that the Space Shuttle program had undergone a massive change in structure and was transitioning to a slimmed-down contractor-run operation. The team produced several pointed conclusions. The shuttle program was inappropriately using previous success as a justification for accepting increased risk. The shuttle program's ability to manage risk was being eroded by the desire to reduce costs. The size and complexity of the shuttle program and NASA contractor relationships demanded better communication practices. NASA's safety and mission assurance organization was not sufficiently independent, and the workforce has received a conflicting message due to emphasis on achieving cost and staff reductions and the pressures placed on increasing scheduled flights as a result of the space station. Emphasis added. The Shuttle Independent Assessment Team found failures of communication to flow up from the shop floor and down from supervisors to workers, deficiencies in problem and waiver tracking systems, potential conflicts of interest between program and contractor goals, and a general failure to communicate requirements and changes across organizations. In general, the program's organizational culture was deemed too insular. NASA subsequently formed an integrated action team to develop a plan to address the recommendations from previous program-specific assessments, including the Shuttle Independent Assessment Team, and to formulate improvements. In part, this effort was also a response to program missteps in the drive for efficiency seen in the faster, better, cheaper NASA of the 1990s. The NASA Integrated Action Team observed, NASA should continue to remove communication barriers and foster an inclusive environment where open communication is the norm. The intent was to establish an initiative where the importance of communication and a culture of trust and openness permeate all facets of the organization. The report indicated that multiple processes to get the messages across the organizational structure would need to be explored and fostered, emphasis added. The report recommended that NASA solicit expert advice in identifying and removing barriers, providing tools, training, and education, and facilitating communication processes. The Shuttle Independent Assessment Team and NASA Integrated Action Team findings mirror those presented by the Rogers Commission. The same communication problems persisted in the Space Shuttle program at the time of the Columbia accident. Space Shuttle Competitive Source Task Force, 2002. In 2002, 
a 14-member Space Shuttle Competitive Task Force supported by the RAND Corporation, examined competitive sourcing options for the shuttle program. In its final report to NASA, the team highlighted several safety-related concerns, which the board shares. Flight and ground hardware and software are obsolete, and safety upgrades and aging infrastructure repairs have been deferred. Budget constraints have impacted personnel and resources required for maintenance and upgrades. International space station schedules exert significant pressures on the shuttle program. Certain mechanisms may impede worker anonymity in reporting safety concerns. NASA does not have a truly independent safety function with the authority to halt the progress of a critical mission element. Based on these findings, the task force suggested that an independent safety assurance function should be created that would hold one of three keys in the certification of flight readiness process. NASA and the operating contractor hold the other two, effectively giving the function the ability to stop any launch. Although, in the board's view, the third key certification of flight readiness process is not a perfect solution. Independent safety and verification functions are vital to continued shuttle operations. This independent function should possess the authority to shut down the flight preparation processes or intervene post-launch when an anomaly occurs. 7.2. Organizational Causes Insights from Theory To develop a thorough understanding of accident causes and risk, and to better interpret the chain of events that led to the Columbia accident, the board turned to the contemporary social science literature on accidents and risk and sought insight from experts in high reliability, normal accident, and organizational theory. Additionally, the board held a forum, organized by the National Safety Council, to define the essential characteristics of a sound safety program. High reliability theory argues that organizations operating high-risk technologies, if properly designed and managed, can compensate for inevitable human shortcomings and therefore avoid mistakes that under other circumstances would lead to catastrophic failures. Normal accident theory, on the other hand, has a more pessimistic view of the ability of organizations and their members to manage high-risk technology. Normal accident theory holds that organizational and technological complexity contributes to failures. Organizations that aspire to failure-free performance are inevitably doomed to fail because of inherent risks in the technology they operate. Normal accident models also emphasize systems approaches and systems thinking, while the high-reliability model works from the bottom up. If each component is highly reliable, then the system will be highly reliable and safe. Though neither high reliability theory nor normal accident theory is entirely appropriate for understanding this accident, insights from each figured prominently in the board's deliberation. Fundamental to each theory is the importance of strong organizational culture and commitment to building successful safety strategies. The board selected certain well-known traits from these models to use as a yardstick to assess the space shuttle program and found them particularly useful in shaping its views on whether NASA's current organization of its human spaceflight program is appropriate for the remaining years of shuttle operation and beyond. Additionally, 
organizational theory, which encompasses organizational culture, structure, history, and hierarchy, is used to explain the Columbia accident and ultimately combines with chapters 5 and 6 to produce an expanded explanation of the accident's causes. The board believes the following considerations are critical to understand what went wrong during STS-107. They will become the central motifs of the board's analysis later in this chapter. Commitment to a safety culture. NASA's safety culture has become reactive, complacent, and dominated by unjustified optimism. Over time, slowly and unintentionally, independent checks and balances intended to increase safety have been eroded in favor of detailed processes that produce massive amounts of data and unwarranted consensus, but little effective communication. Organizations that successfully deal with high-risk technologies create and sustain a disciplined safety system capable of identifying, analyzing, and controlling hazards throughout a technology's life cycle. Ability to operate in both a centralized and decentralized manner. The ability to operate in a centralized manner when appropriate and to operate in a decentralized manner when appropriate is the hallmark of a high-reliability organization. On the operational side, the Space Shuttle program has a highly centralized structure. Launch commit criteria and flight rules govern every imaginable contingency. The Mission Control Center and the Mission Management Team have very capable decentralized processes to solve problems that are not covered by such rules. The process is so highly regarded that it is considered one of the best problem-solving organizations of its type. In these situations, mature processes anchor rules, procedures, and routines to make the shuttle program's matrixed workforce seamless, at least on the surface. Nevertheless, it is evident that the position one occupies in this structure makes a difference. When supporting organizations try to push back against centralized program direction, like the debris assessment team did during STS-107. Independent analysis generated by a decentralized decision-making process can be stifled. The debris assessment team, working in an essentially decentralized format, was well-led and had the right expertise to work the problem, but their charter was fuzzy and the team had little direct connection to the mission management team. This lack of connection to the mission management team and the mission evaluation room is the single most compelling reason why communications were so poor during the debris assessment. In this case, the shuttle program was unable to simultaneously manage both the centralized and decentralized systems. Importance of communication At every juncture of STS-107, the shuttle program's structure and processes, and therefore the managers in charge, resisted new information. Early in the mission, it became clear that the program was not going to authorize imaging of the orbiter because, in the program's opinion, images were not needed. Overwhelming evidence indicates that program leaders decided the phone strike was merely a maintenance problem long before any analysis had begun. Every manager knew the party line. We'll wait for the analysis. No safety of flight issue expected. Program leaders spent at least as much time making sure hierarchical rules and processes were followed as they did trying to establish why anyone would want a picture of the orbiter. These attitudes are incompatible with an organization that deals with high-risk technology.
avoiding oversimplification. The Columbia accident is an unfortunate illustration of NASA's strong cultural bias and its optimistic organizational thinking undermined effective decision-making. Over the course of 22 years, phone strikes were normalized to the point where they were simply a maintenance issue, a concern that did not threaten a mission's success. This oversimplification of the threat posed by foam debris rendered the issue a low-level concern in the minds of shuttle managers. Ascent risk, so evident in Challenger, biased leaders to focus on strong signals from the shuttle system main engine and the solid rocket boosters. Foam strikes, by comparison, were a weak and consequently overlooked signal, although they turned out to be no less dangerous. Conditioned by success. Even after it was clear from the launch videos that foam had struck the orbiter in a manner never before seen, space shuttle program managers were not unduly alarmed. They could not imagine why anyone would want a photo of something that could be fixed after landing. More importantly, learned attitudes about foam strikes diminished management's wariness of their danger. The shuttle program turned the experience of failure into the memory of success. Managers also failed to develop simple contingency plans for a re-entry emergency. They were convinced, without study, that nothing could be done about such an emergency. The intellectual curiosity and skepticism that a solid safety culture requires was almost entirely absent. Shuttle managers did not embrace safety-conscious attitudes. Instead, their attitudes were shaped and reinforced by an organization that, in this instance, was incapable of stepping back and gauging its biases. Bureaucracy and process trumped thoroughness and reason. Significance of redundancy the human spaceflight program has compromised the many redundant processes, checks, and balances that should identify and correct small errors. Redundant systems, essential to every high-risk enterprise, have fallen victim to bureaucratic efficiency. Years of workforce reductions and outsourcing have culled from NASA's workforce the layers of experience and hands-on systems knowledge that once provided the capacity for safety oversight. Safety and mission assurance personnel have been eliminated. Careers in safety have lost organizational prestige, and the program now decides on its own how much safety and engineering oversight it needs. Aiming to align inspection regime with the International Organization for Standardization 9000-9001 protocol, commonly used in industrial environments, environments very different than the shuttle program. The Human Spaceflight Program shifted from a comprehensive oversight inspection process to a more limited insight process, cutting mandatory inspection points by more than half and leaving even fewer workers to make second or third shuttle systems checks. See Chapter 10. Implications for the Shuttle Program Organization the board's investigation into the Columbia accident revealed two major causes with which NASA has to contend, one technical, the other organizational. As mentioned earlier, the board studied the two dominant theories on complex organizations and accidents involving high-risk technologies. These schools of thought were influential in shaping the board's organizational recommendations 
primarily because each takes a different approach to understanding accidents and risk. The board determined that high reliability theory is extremely useful in describing the culture that should exist in the human spaceflight organization. NASA and the Space Shuttle program must be committed to a strong safety culture, a view that serious accidents can be prevented, a willingness to learn from mistakes, from technology, and from others, and a realistic training program that empowers employees to know when to decentralize or centralize problem solving. The shuttle program cannot afford the mindset that accidents are inevitable because it may lead to unnecessarily accepting known and preventable risks. The board believes normal accident theory has a key role in human spaceflight as well. Complex organizations need specific mechanisms to maintain their commitment to safety and assist their understanding of how complex interactions can make organizations accident-prone. Organizations cannot put blind faith into redundant warning systems because they inherently create more complexity, and this complexity, in turn, often produces unintended system interactions that can lead to failure. The human spaceflight program must realize that additional protective layers are not always the best choice. The program must also remain sensitive to the fact that despite its best intentions, managers, engineers, safety professionals, and other employees can, when confronted with extraordinary demands, act in counterproductive ways. The challenges to failure-free performance highlighted by these two theoretical approaches will always be present in an organization that aims to send humans into space. What can the program do about these difficulties? The board considered three alternatives. First, the board could recommend that NASA follow traditional paths to improving safety by making changes to policy, procedures, and processes. These initiatives could improve organizational culture. The analysis provided by experts and the literature leads the board to conclude that although reforming management practices has certain merits, it also has critical limitations. Second, the board could recommend that the shuttle is simply too risky and should be grounded. As will be discussed in Chapter 9, the board is committed to continuing human space exploration and believes the shuttle program can and should continue to operate. Finally, the board could recommend a significant change to the organizational structure that controls the space shuttle program's technology. As will be discussed at length in this chapter's conclusion, the board believes this option has the best chance to successfully manage the complexities and risks of human spaceflight. End of Part 1 of Chapter 7